I'm Nikki Kristoff, and welcome to Teched Up. Today, we're trying something new, an episode called Beyond the Buzz. The idea is to do a little bit more of an infotainment take on the latest headlines. And each week, I'll be joined by an expert who's either a consultant, a communication strategist, or a policy person who's just breaking down the latest news. This week, I'm joined by Lauren Tomlinson of Steer PR. Lauren Tomlinson, thank you so much for coming into the studio today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And thank you for being a guinea pig for what is a totally <laughs> new format. I figured you'd be up for it. And I love that you just said yes right away. Always. I'm up for a, a, a fun experience. And I'm a huge fan of the pod. So this is going to be a great experiment. Thank you. And the idea is just we're going to talk about two, maybe three stories that are in the news, what we think about it, what our takes are as people who are always pitching stories and behind the news and what we think companies or entities or the government could be doing better. So should we just kick it off? Yeah, let's go. Okay. I think we should start with a fortune story from this week that was about euphemisms that companies are using with layoffs. So I'm obviously in tech. 32,000 jobs were eliminated in January. So just last month. And you're starting to see, as the article points out, I think a Stanford professor called it jargon monoxide <laughs> where you're trying to like i guess he didn't say this but like euthanize the people that you're laying off so they don't bash you on social media or just be so confusing that they don't want know what's happening to them exactly so the idea is suddenly you've been subjected to an involuntary career event that's an actual quote or you know they're using all this bizarre language rather than just saying layoffs or job eliminations and there's you know presumably a corporate reason which is they don't want to get canceled they're feeling more concerned about their reputations and any backlash. What do you think about all of that? I think they're feeding into what is going to destroy their reputations. I mean, in these situations, people are not, they're going to see through the bullshit. And it's important just to clarify exactly what's happening, be clear, concise, direct. I mean, I think in today's age too, with a huge emphasis on authenticity and um, having more information and connection than ever before, people are going to see through that jargon immediately. And it's okay to keep using the, you know, the corporate terms. Obviously, there's a need to align people with, you know, your business objectives and your strategy, right? That's important. And it's important for CEOs to be able to communicate to the teams that we're going in a different direction. For example, I think it was, maybe it was Google. I can't remember exactly which company, but they said, we're going to put all of our resources in AI. That's, you know, the emerging business unit. We need to put people there. So we're going to have to eliminate jobs in other places. So that makes sense if you're having a reorg that way. That, but you need to communicate it clearly to people. Right. I think that's right. People absolutely understand the difference between, even when they say things like, well, we overhired for the pandemic, it might just be that you're not selling enough dongles. Like yeah. it might just be that that's not happening. And if someone works at the company, they probably know that. Yeah. And they probably know the functions that are they're being They're not dummies. No, they're not dummies. And so I think, yeah, I think it's disrespectful to the people being laid off. And I think it sort of misses a key human element because now they're also doing this trend of sort of mass layoffs where you get everybody on a Zoom and just fire them all at once. I think the concept is, well, we're at less risk than a one-on-one -on -one conversation that goes sideways, which there was one on TikTok a few weeks ago. A woman taped her exit interview. Yeah, which is wild that that's a concern now. But listen, I think that the that fear, I think the mass layoffs makes it worse because ultimately it's the empathy and the human to human connection that are going to make this less bad for companies. Because when you just treat people like cogs in the wheel, including with their firing or their hiring or their day to day management, that's when you get in trouble. 
versus if you let the manager do the firing. I mean, you and I have had to do this before, which is it's a terrible and sad situation when your company is going through a reorganization or you have to let someone go because of poor performance or any other issues. But if you sit down and connect with them, and you talk it through and, you know, there's always offers to help, you know, you know, in their next line of work or whatever they're doing next. HR can sit there and like make sure that you don't say anything that you're not supposed to say. There's trainings that managers have to do to make yes. sure that they have to do these well. Be right? better trained, right. Be better trained. Make sure that your managers know how to have these difficult conversations. They know how to communicate within the lines of legal and HR, but still be able to talk to people on a human level. That's what makes this better. And I think the... I hate the trend of the Zoom layoffs because, one, it's not the CEO's responsibility to go and have these conversations in mass to that many people. It creates confusion and it's just awful. But if you have it on the manager to manager level, which I think is what most companies do besides tech, then it I think it lessens the blow and it's going to lessen the hurt to your brand and your reputation. Right. Absolutely. I have another suggestion on how people can lessen the blow to their brand and reputation. So you mentioned, and you're a small business owner, I'm a small business owner, there's sort of industry standard for how much severance you give. And that can be very different for someone like me, who's a really small shop. And let's say Facebook, which has a trillion dollar market. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> little different situation. <laughs> so I feel like at times in these whole conversations, people are missing, like, I mean, hold on to your socks, but I feel like people go to work to make money. Yeah. So then when you lay them off or fire them, they don't have money. So one thing that I think could go a long way toward goodwill is just being as generous as your company can be with severance because people are going to still have to pay their bills. They're absolutely sweating it. They get COBRA, which is the guarantee that you can retain your health insurance policy, but it's not paid for. It's like 1200 bucks a month. Yeah, it's expensive. It's super expensive. I say this because you were saying we fired people. I've been fired. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I've experienced this firsthand. I know exactly <laughs> what everyone's concerned about. <laughs> I have been firsthand fired. I don't want to alarm people. I was fired from a fishing boat by my cousin for incompetence. <laughs> I was fired from the Gap in college. Also for incompetence. Yeah. Did they and give you severance at the gap? They surely didn't. They were like, <laughs> best wishes. We're, we're taking you off. <laughs> You're just not meant for retail. <laughs> and then I was fired for insubordination by Salesforce. And I will tell you, I didn't get severance. And one of the things that really chapped my ass about it was when you get fired by a billionaire and your health insurance premium isn't paid for a few months during a pandemic, I was, I was salty about it. And yeah. I mean, I absolutely... I was insubordinate. It was fine that they fired me, but I found the separation to be less empathetic than it could have been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I, and you know, in contrast to that, my old employer, Southern Company, I had a lot of respect for the way that they went through the layoff process when we had to do a massive restructuring. You know, there was a merger with another company. There was lots of duplicative jobs. There was a lot of like job shifting. And, you know, it was really methodical and people had the opportunity to apply, right? Reapply for jobs. There was a healthy severance package. There was lots of notice that this was going to be happening. So people could kind of, you know, be prepared that this might be coming down the pipe. I think that lesson has really stuck with me because you never want to have to be in that position as a company or as a manager, but you also don't want to accidentally fire someone who is on maternity leave and they're getting an email while they're postpartum, right? And you hear those horror stories and it's just, I think, the worst of the worst. And that's what you're avoiding here is by, I think, entering into that human element 
then you communicate better and you avoid those situations. And maybe you won't get bad exit interviews or TikTok stories. TikTok stories, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. If you handle it a little bit better. I mean, I also was a little stunned that someone would tape their exit interview, but it shows the the underlying upset and distress that people are feeling about the way these things are being handled. And so, yeah, professionalism, empathy, and some empathy for the the folks who are doing the firing. They need to have training. It is not easy. It's so hard. You always, or at least I always lose sleep beforehand. Mm -hmm. It's not comfortable. And sometimes it is just the reality that like, this is not a family, as, as, some, <laughs> as some people say. It is a business. It is a business. It always drives me insane when people do that, uh, when, especially when you're interviewing for a job and they're like, oh, come join our family. I'm like, it's uh, this is a transaction. Right. This is a transaction. <laughs> I'm coming for money. You're paying me to do something mm-hmm. and just be straight about it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Have you seen those memes with the office culture where it's like, oh, I can't wait to spend eight hours under those uh, fluorescent lights and you give me free pizza <laughs> once a quarter? <laughs> I like it's a great family. <laughs> I have seen that. I Instagram actually recommends an awful lot of like corporate HR jokey memes. But sometimes as a now on the other side of the desk as a business owner, I'm like, this hits a little close to the bone. I'm just going to mute everything that makes me feel bad. <laughs> not trying to bribe people. Bribe food. people to work with you. <laughs> just come work here. We'll have snacks. We just try to really have good subject matter. <laughs> right, right. I'm That's just... how we recruit people. Exactly. That's the best we could do. Okay, so speaking of, you had an article you wanted to suggest. Yeah, so I was reading Foreign Affairs, and there was a really interesting article about the evolution in our satellites and how the United States is putting so much more emphasis in our national security apparatus, is putting so much more resources into launching more satellites to go from what the article describes as a straw, looking into a straw down at the and just getting little snapshots of the world to more of a constant stare where we're going to have all of this data coming in nonstop. And it really made me think about how much data processing is going to change, how much our world is going to change as far as being able to real-time monitor events, not just for national security purposes, but mass migration, droughts. You know, there's going to be so much information available to us now that we don't already have, and it's just going to change the world. And it's also going to create so much opportunity, I think, for private industry. They're already in space and working with the government, but you think about space computing and the AI that's going to have to go alongside with all of this data, and it's just going to blow our minds as far as how we're working with the government, how private industry thinks about working with the government, and how we're also operating under a an environment in which we all know that we're being watched all the time. Right. Well, I don't think people think about it. Definitely not. I mean, it's basically already happening with Google Maps and all the cameras and the ring cameras and all of these other things. Privacy has gone out the window a little bit. But I think on that macro level of nation states, it's it's wild to think about. It is. So I don't know if you know this because we met after I moved back to Washington, D.C., but my former spouse actually founded a low earth Satellite. No way. Yeah, he did. <laughs> it's kind of a sensitive subject because we got divorced right before he sold it to Google, my company, for half a billion dollars. We're <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, dang. <laughs> dang. Lesson. Yeah. If you take anything away from this podcast, take away that you should keep some equity. <laughs> right. <laughs> Error. But what I realized is that was more than a decade ago. Uh, he was very early to this industry, came out of the intelligence community, and it was almost like our government couldn't quite grab onto it. So you had a lot of former Intel types, MIT grads starting these companies. We actually had a guest on Ashley Vance last year. He's an author who wrote a book about uh, Elon Musk and SpaceX. And he was talking about these satellites and those early stories. 
But we haven't heard much about it, even though they've been making them smaller, cheaper. There are these reusable rockets, which, I mean, frankly, the government is reliant on Elon Musk right now. And suddenly what I thought was interesting about this article is that you have the U.S. government finally saying, like, no, we're investing in it. It's not just going to be private companies. It's not just going to be these entrepreneurs selling to Google or other private companies. They're actually finally going to build it into our national security apparatus. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes to show, too, that by default, the government is so risk adverse. So for a lot of this stuff, they do rely on private industry to advance the technology to such a point to which once it's cheaper and easier to make, then they'll take it and they'll run with it. But there's such an important part, I think, of early stage investors making sure that some of this technology gets to that place where government can take it and run with it because, you know, the DOD officials don't want to get hauled in front of Congress, right, and have to answer for bad investments. Right, or things blowing up. Or things blowing up, yeah. So you need the Elon Musks to go and take those risks and, like, get the technology to a place in which the government can go and um, apply it the way that they want to. So, you know, it's interesting, like you were saying, that satellites have reached this point where it's, like, cheaper and easier and with the reusable uh, rockets and everything else that now that they can just go and then paired with the hypersonic uh, missiles and um, all of the hypersonic technology that's coming on stage. I mean, in theory, if our al- if our adversaries don't get this technology as well, I mean, the United States is just going to be able to blow past people as far as surveillance and then deterrence. Well, I certainly hope we do. I mean, that's part of it is that we're in, again, kind of a space race, but very different than when it was focused on moon exploration. It's It's how you can have as many eyes on the Earth and use that for your own defense capabilities. And to your other point, we're going to have to have more natural disaster planning, too. So you can flip yeah. these these cameras into another use case that we still need, which is also part national defense and homeland defense. Yeah, it's kind of wild. So Planet, you can go on their website and even see right now what they're tracking and because they, they'll publish a lot of the images, especially for nonprofit use and other things for that purpose, right? Like, Because if you can predict the natural disasters or you see where people are impacted the most or you see where people are moving or where there's a drought, so then you can deal with food security issues. It's like the possibilities are endless for this surveillance to be used for good, as well as the national security implications, which I think is what a lot of people are mostly focused on. Right. And I, you know, I think we should tie this. You mentioned this already, but you're going to have these huge cloud computing needs to process this information. You can't just have individual analysts looking at things when you have this kind of always on surveillance capability. So AI is going to have to be used to help crunch some of the data. Totally, which is kind of scary in a degree because if there's over-reliance on AI and you like eliminate the human aspect of it, then I think that there's a lot of room for mistakes and like bad decision making and all that type of stuff. So I think there's going to be like a real learning curve of like how do we apply the technology to process all of this information, but then still pair it with what we know we need, which is like human intelligence and human decision making to make the best decisions and you know make the most use out of all of that data. Right. And and people are going to game the system. Right. So totally. If I'm if I'm well, I was going to say China, but maybe Russia, if you make something look like a school bus, the United States is going to have programmed things not to engage in that way. Right. So if they're able to create images that are not real and trick AI or to your point, the dependency on algorithms to make the right call when it's this kind of situation, you can't miss things. Right. You don't want to be so yeah. overly reliant on it that you miss an intelligent situation, which is one of the risks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the speed in which, you know, we're talking about processing this information is going to become really important, too. There is an interesting talk. I think it was at an Amazon cloud conference where they had a cloud computing company come in and talk about how they can process a lot of 
the information in space. So the satellite just goes straight to a cloud in space, then it's processed there, then it's beamed back to Earth. And it's a lot faster than if you beam all the data back down to Earth, have the cloud computing and everything happen on Earth, and then it get distributed, which again is like a whole nother like realm of this, right? That you're like yeah. adding like the cloud I, computing. I, yeah, the cloud is now actually in Space. space yeah isn't that crazy <laughs> i just like it's a lot i feel like we're gonna have like a whole ecosystem in space like orbiting the earth which also you know then it then you have you know vulnerabilities as far as right shooting them down or just hacking. space junk i'm obsessed yeah. with space junk <laughs> what is space junk okay space is really big i'm saying this this is actually again not to bring him into this but my former spouse said this to me <laughs> once because i said i'm worried about space junk i think stuff's gonna break off and like hit the you know, oh, like fall to earth. Right. Yeah. And he said something like, you can't, space is so big, Nikki. It's, and then I kid you not, within a year, something broke off and hit the space station. I'm like, okay, I'm not a math person. Yeah, but that seems high probability then. Well, now it's worse. So now there's way more <laughs> junk in space and you can't really get it out. And so it's always banging around yeah. uh, into other things, which is a problem if you're reliant in these ways. Oh, definitely. Have you seen For Mankind? the show. No. So they have all of these instances where the uh, astronauts have to go into space. It's like an it's a show about like an alternate reality where astronauts it's if if uh, I think Russia had won the space race. Oh, okay. And so it's like all this stuff about like how we had to work with them and there's international space stations. And anyways, in this season, I feel like it's space junk. It's like all the astronauts <laughs> having to go in and like solve problems of things banging into each other because they've built a whole world up there. So, you know, it's not far off. I no. think you're right. <laughs> it's a real thing. Well, so I'm glad you brought up this article because I think it highlights something people don't often think about. I think about it a lot because I'm a space, I'm, I'm a total space nerd. Um, but I think people don't think about it. And it's becoming it's it's taken a long time to have the investments and the clean rooms and the highly leveraged startups and the rockets that are totally subsidized by billionaires to get to the point where the government can grab onto this. I hope people pay more attention to it. I don't see it in a lot of regular tech press other than Ashley Vance. And then this obviously was in a foreign affairs magazine. Yeah, I think it's something that, that again, it's like something we see that people are talking about in the national security community a ton, because obviously that intelligence will be invaluable, but it's just as applicable, you know, across tech. So I think that we'll see kind of that that intersection between like the policy and the politics and your every, everyday communications with the national security messages pretty soon here. Which is something you work on, you guys do. Yeah, we security. do kind of all of those intersections. Right. It's a lot of Because <laughs> everything is national security these days. <laughs> right. In D.C., certainly. Yeah. Okay. So let's wrap up with, I was thinking we could talk, I mean, this is not, you know, heavy analysis, but the Super Bowl just happened. <laughs> We're comms people. <laughs> Any thoughts on the ads? So I'm going to go all Taylor Swift. Okay, do it. And I loved all the female ads this year. And especially there, I think that there was one ad where it was like a dad with the friendship bracelet with his, and I'm like, this is a direct result of the Taylor Swift phenomenon. I'm here for it. And I just love that. I think the ads were reflective of, I mean, the NFL has had like 50% female viewership for years now. So, right. Which people don't think about. Which yes. people don't think about. And it's never been reflected in the ads because I saw some stat talking about how something like 65% of ads a few years back were had some sort of like female objectification and like were a little sexist. Charming. Like the GoDaddy ads. Yeah. Like the, the GoDaddy ads. ads. And what was that? Yeah. As I'll say, the burger ads with the bikinis uh. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it was very much geared towards male audiences. And then this year it dropped down to 6%. 
And so there's this huge shift in recognition of like the female viewership. And that's been heightened, obviously, because of the Swifties, because you have a bunch of 14 year old girls now interested in football. But that's who are an economic juggernaut, by the oh, way. Oh, 100 percent. Right. Like the fact that what beauty brand was it that advertised with Judge Judy? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. The fact that they were advertising, was it Elf, I think? Um, wild, right? Like not something that you would normally see, but obviously targeted towards those Swifties. So I'm I'm here for it. That was my biggest takeaway for, from the advertisements. Okay. That's a good takeaway. Mine is, well, you're obviously a mom and thinking about little girls. I was really... <laughs> Wishing the alien ads had been. <laughs> it could have been so much funnier. The alien ad definitely missed. <laughs> Just missed. I mean, there were a couple aliens, and I'm like, yeah, I get it. It's Although I did like Squarespaces, where it said the it was the the website makes it real. Yeah. I, I I chuckled at that because it's so true. Websites make it real. Well, it's so true. It was also sort of dystopian. Everyone's staring at their phones. Yeah, we don't see the. They only figure <laughs> out the aliens are there because they got like a, a notification on their smartphone. Yep. Yeah. I thought they could have been a little funnier. And then I do think one I would call out, maybe this is the last thing we can cover, is we always talk about AI. I thought Microsoft had a really interesting ad about Copilot where they were basically saying they had these sort of despondent looking, I'm assuming American, <laughs> saying like, people think I can't write a screenplay or start a business or whatever. Like basically watch me now. And then they get out there, Microsoft Copilot, and they use AI to help code, to help you know, create a structure for their book. And it's sort of this like uplifting, trying to shift the concept of AI from, you know, robots that'll kill us all to an actual virtual assistant that can help you achieve your dreams. I thought it was a good effort toward trying to demystify and make a more positive story about AI. Yeah, I feel like AI needs that right now. The whole industry needs to talk about like the little tiny applications that are already kind of infiltrating our lives and um, how it's making a difference. You know, everything from like the little LinkedIn, like suggested content, right? Like that's AI powered to, I think Etsy had something on the Super Bowl where they were talking about how it's like a, a gift suggestion. Oh, I liked that ad. Yeah, yeah, and that was like a really good AI ad in my mind. Not even like an Etsy ad, but an AI ad because it's like, okay, here's the non-scary application for, AI, because you're right, the industry is so and the tech coverage has been so, you know, on the doom and gloom, which I think is an important part. Obviously, the ethics of it need to be discussed. But for the average consumer, they also need to know, like, this is already here. It's It's already going in. It's basically the calculator now. Like, it's going to be used, you know, for all sorts of different ways. And companies can, like, communicating about that and being upfront about it will be really important. Right. So AI, if you're listening, call us. Lauren's available. I'm available. We'll cut some more ads for you. We can help you with your PR problem. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on. And again, for trying this out. It's brand new. We'll see if people like this format. They can drop us a line if they do. And I think I'm going to see you again in a couple weeks. Yeah, that'll be great. Yeah. Love feedback. Let us know. Thank you. That's a wrap. If this podcast gives life to your inner tech nerd, please do subscribe or leave us a five-star review. Anybody listening to this show knows the algorithm needs to be fed, and I really want to keep it ad-free and independent. Tune in next Thursday. You can find video content on YouTube. You can find us on Instagram, or you can just follow up Checked Up wherever you get your content. Thanks for tuning in.